The Judo Chop Suey podcast is presented by Health IQ, a life insurance agency that helps health conscious people lower their rates on their life insurance. Are you someone who takes care of their health and fitness and takes special care of themselves through proper nutrition? Do you lift weights or take part of a physical activity like judo? And I'm sure many of you listening do. Then visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to learn more about Health IQ's special rates for active people like you and me. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ customers. So if you want to learn more about how Health IQ can help you save on your life insurance, visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to get a free rate quote and to learn more about Health IQ's special rates. Greetings and salutations everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. What's going on? How you doing? Hope all is well with you. I certainly can't complain. I've been very busy over the past couple weeks, not just with podcast preparation, but also with real life work. My goodness, I've there I've had several days this past week where I've put in about 14 hours in one day. I'm I'm no joke. And I'm sure some of you people work those kind of hours all the time. Maybe you're uh, police officers or maybe you work for the county, your local government, and you're putting in those kind of hours. That is not the norm for me. It has definitely been a very busy week, but a very productive week. And the end result of that work has come to fruition. I'm very pleased with those results. But we're not here to talk about my work results and my performance at my job. We're here to talk about judo and whatever else that comes to my mind, but mostly judo. I swear it'll be like 95% judo, but there are some things that may not be judo related that I do want to discuss. On this episode, I want to talk a little bit about Ippon Sayanagi. This is the next throw in a series of throws. I know I've talked about this before, but I made a little tweak in my practice uh, over the past couple of days, and it's produced some pretty interesting results. I've never... Uh, Donnie Ponsanagi in the way that I've been doing it lately, and uh, I want to discuss a little bit about that. I also want to talk about the Tbilisi Grand Prix that took place a couple of weeks ago. I know that there is another Grand Prix going on right now in Antalya, and I will discuss that on my next episode, along with a discussion on the All Japan Judo Championships that are going to be happening the weekend of April 7th. So I'll be very interested to see those results. And we'll discuss that in my next episode. But on this episode, I'm going to talk about the Tbilisi Grand Prix. Some pretty interesting results there. I also want to have a discussion on honorary black belts. I thought I saw a story over the past couple of weeks that I thought was very interesting and very humorous. I want to touch on that and dish my opinion on that. Not that anybody's asked, but I'm going to talk a little bit about honorary black belts, what I think of them. And whether or not they are good for judo. I know other martial arts have them. I know universities sometimes give out honorary degrees. So I'm going to delve into this topic a little bit. And give my two cents on that particular story. I'm sure some of you have seen it already. I also want to have a discussion on ukemi. It's it's a subject that I've not really broached before. But I want to give it the good old college try. And, and, and maybe just provide a little bit of insights on 
my experiences with Ukemi and, and how it's served me in my real life and real world scenarios. And I also want to talk a little bit about WrestleMania. I'm not going to break down the entire event, but certainly because Ronda Rousey is in WrestleMania, I'm going to cover that event. I said I would months ago when she made her WWE debut at the Royal Rumble, but I want to discuss that uh, a little bit, just her portion of it. I'm not going to get too much into the rest of the event. Now, before I get into all those topics, I want to get the housekeeping items on out of the way. I want to get this out of the way very quickly, but there's a couple things I want to talk about that are not Judah related. Starting with uh, last week, I went to my very first opening day uh, for baseball at the Tampa Bay Rays. That was a lot of fun. It was a tremendous experience. I ended up skipping work, which is something I never do to do something for myself. I went by myself, and it was really a lot of fun. It was an exciting game. For those of you, for those of you who live on the other side of the ocean, if you're not too familiar with baseball, think cricket, but a lot more boring. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Baseball isn't boring. Well, it can be boring, but baseball uh, can be boring until it isn't. And when it's not boring, it is really, really captivating stuff. And and the game that I went to is the only uh, Tampa Bay Rays win of the season, but it was done in exciting fashion. I had a great time. Let's see, what else I wanted to cover? Oh, yeah, Cobra Kai. Have you guys seen the trailer for Cobra Kai on YouTube? Now, I do not have a subscription to YouTube Red, but this is going to be the show that gets me to sign up, at least for the free month, and then I'll cancel it. They are doing a series on Johnny Lawrence, who was the bad guy in the original Karate Kid, not the one with Will Smith's kid. I mean, the one with Ralph Macchio. That movie, I've talked about it before. It was the catalyst for me getting interested in doing martial arts. And it's a very important movie to me. And to see them do a show about the two ca main characters, Johnny Lawrence and and Daniel LaRusso, 34, 34 years after the events of the All-Valley uh, Karate Tournament or whatever it was called. It looks really funny. It looks well done. And look, we all root, you know, a lot of people rooted for Daniel to beat Johnny. But you know what? We all love the Cobra Kai. Strike first, strike hard, show no mercy. We all love that stuff. And it's it's great to see this show and, and come back, and, or not come back, but this show being made. It looks fantastic. I, I highly recommend you guys check it out. It's going to be coming out in May, and I, I, I just can't wait. It's, it's just... Um, it's a dream come true, I, I, I got to admit. So the other day I started working on Ippon Sayanagi at my club. Now, over the past several episodes of this hideous podcast, I've talked about certain basic throws that I've kind of gone back to just to take another look at and try and reevaluate how I'm doing things and to see where I can improve or maybe try something a little bit different than what I was used to. I've talked about doing this with Tayatoshi. I've talked about doing this with uh, Ogoshi. And now I want to talk a little bit about what I've been doing with Ippon Sayanagi. Because several weeks ago, I recorded myself doing Ippon Sayanagi. And there, was, there were some things that I did not like about my Sayanagi. And I, I 
you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there would, would look at my St. Augie and, and maybe say, oh, that's, you know, nothing wrong with that. But I think somebody with a more critical eye could see the things that I was seeing. Basically, the issue has been with my step. And there were so, certain things that I was doing with my step that I really wasn't pleased with. Now, typically, the way that I approach upon Sanagi is the triangle approach where my planting foot, my initial step, takes place between Uki's legs in about a foot in front of their feet at where their feet would make a natural triangle. So their two toes uh, converging together that where makes the tip of a triangle. That's where I typically would be stepping with my initial step for Iponse and Nagi. Thereabouts, almost in a similar way that I would do Uchimata with that with the triangle to uh, step. So for years I've been doing Iponse and Nagi like that, but I wanted to try a little bit different because there's some videos that I've seen online of people doing that initial step a little bit differently. So I went to my sensei and I asked him about the way that he does Seinagi because it's very similar to the way that I've seen some people do online. Namely, there's a sensei out there by the name of Samson Samson. He's an eighth don. I believe he's out in the UK and he runs a club named Sobel Judo Club. And he's got a fantastic instructional YouTube channel. It's one of my favorites to watch along with Steve Scott's, of course. But Samson Samson uh, has a fantastic channel, and I was watching his video on Ipon Sayanagi. And the way that he does his Ipon Sayanagi, or the way that he teaches it, is that he goes toe-to-toe with that initial step. So you're, as a righty, my right toe, uh, I step to the point where it is very near Uke's uh, uh, right small toe, so kind of almost next to it, and that's going to be the pivot point there. So instead of using the top of the invisible triangle as my pivot point, my pivot point is going to be uh, right by Uke's right foot if you're a righty. And this is very similar to the way that my sensei teaches Ipon Sayanagi. I it's it's funny, and I've, I was telling this to him the other day that a lot of times when I see somebody teach a throw a different way, at first I'm, I can be a little bit resistant, I'm a little hesitant, or at first I just don't really get it. I don't really understand the mechanics. Well, why should you do it this way? I, I prefer it this way better. But then when I try it years later with a lot more experience, it see, things seem to click for me a lot better because I, I have a better understanding of the mechanics. And Ipon Sayanagi doing it this way was no different. And what I found initially after practicing this with my sensei is that I found it a little bit more efficient to do Ipon Sayanagi this way. Now, my challenge is going to be developing habits to actually do the step in this way. That's that's going to take me a long time. I know it because I'm just going to go back to what I'm used to. But what's interesting to me is that bringing my right toe closer to his right foot um, brings my body just a few inches over to the right. And when I was throwing my sensei, he was going over like it was nothing. Now, normally when I do Ipon Sayanagi the way that I've always done it, when I hit it right, Uke tends to go over fairly easily and, and fairly effortlessly. But if, if there's 
if there's a way for me to do things even more effortlessly, it felt like this step uh, was very helpful in achieving that. Doing it this way, it was it's odd with a crash pad. I've said it before. I really hate crash pads, but with my flooring situation, even though we've got tatami, it's still tatami on concrete, and that that's there's really no give there. So we opt for the crash pads when we practice our nagikomi, and it, it, the crash pads just just throw me off a little bit. I I don't know why. I see these videos on Instagram and on YouTube of of guys just being able to throw on crash pads, and it just doesn't bother them one bit but I'm always worried about making sure my uke lands on the crash pad as much as possible so it's always in the back of my mind and I think that that messes me up a little bit from time to time but this new step not new this different way of doing sayonagi I'm going to keep trying it for a while I thought I think it's really efficient I, I want to see how it how I can pull it off in Rondori I think it would be very helpful uh, because a lot of times people may be moving to my right and I'm trying to get Ippon sayonagi I'm sorry, they're moving to my left, and I'm trying to get Ippon Sayanagi, and I feel like I'm chasing them if I'm doing my uh, traditional step where the angle, where the triangle is, because by the time I get there, they're a little bit too far over to my left, but maybe if I step ahead of them uh, with that new, with this different step that I've been practicing, uh, maybe I'll be able to catch them just nicely and as they low right onto my back and end up on the floor. So if I manage to pull it off in Rondori, I'll be sure to let you guys know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of in a chipper mood today. I'm in such a good mood that I feel like singing a song. I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Yeah. Do you guys know who sings that song? I'll give you three seconds to figure it out. Three, two, one. That is a song called Rock and Roll All Night by the band Kiss. I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with KISS. Maybe not all of you. Perhaps maybe some of you guys that are across the ocean. Or maybe you guys know of them. They've been around for about 175 years. <laughs> and I would say their most popular member of the KISS band is Gene Simmons. Who was, when he was in his face paint, they called him the demon. So where am I going with all this? A couple of weeks ago, I was perusing through my Instagram feed. Which, if you'd like, you could follow me at Lavita Judoka. My Instagram's awesome, by the way. But I was going through my Instagram feed, and lo and behold, I come across a post by uh, the Jason Morris Judo Club. Now, for those of you who do not know, Jason Morris is one of the really most famous judoka in the United States. I, I it's it's funny because I think he's one of the most famous. But when people think about USA Judo, it seems that people don't immediately think of Jason Morris. They, they tend to think of Ronda Rousey or Travis Stevens and certainly Jimmy Pedro and, and of course, Kayla Harrison. But Jason Morris is a silver medal winner of the Olympics. Jason won the silver in the 1988 Olympics in Seoul, Korea, and he lost against Hidehiko Yoshida which I'm sure many of you guys who are fans of MMA are very familiar with Yoshida. And Jason is, without a doubt, a legend in American judo. It's just like I kind of said before, if I were to tell people the average judoka, you know, name me three, three judoka that have medaled in the United States. I would venture to guess that Jason's name would not immediately come to mind for many. 
And it's not just because of his age. It's just, I don't know, for whatever reason, when I when I hear people talk about judo in the Olympics and American judo in the Olympics, people are like, oh, yeah, Jason Morris, too. But, yeah, he got silver. Um, and he also earned a bronze medal in the world championships as well, which, look, he's a great player, uh, certainly great competitor. Most my main training partners trained under Jason Morris for years. So the kind of judo that I came up through the ranks learning was probably closer to Jason Morris's brand of judo than any other uh, brand of judo that um, that I've learned from from other people. Now, that doesn't mean I learned from Jason Morris. I'm just saying his influence on my judo is probably the most prevalent uh, compared to a lot of other people that have come across in my life. And to be clear, I'm not saying I do judo like Jason Morris or my former training partners. I'm just saying that there was a big influence in in how I came up through the ranks. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so the other day I saw a bunch of pictures. This is probably about almost two weeks ago now. Saw a bunch of pictures of Jason Morris with Gene Simmons. Yeah, that Gene Simmons of Kiss fame. The demon. So apparently... Gene Simmons is now a Jason Morris Judo Club showdown. So Jason Morris gave Gene Simmons an honorary promotion to showdown. And he put up a bunch of pictures. There's a, a lot of great pictures of Jason and Gene and uh, Jason's family all together. It clearly looking at the pictures, Jason Morris must be a huge Kiss fan because he, he looked he looked like a he looked like a teenage girl around Gene Simmons. Just, just, just kind of had this look of, of awe and happiness in his face. And I'm like, you know, good for him. I think that's really great. Um, I think it's really. I just thought I got a kick out of the pictures, and I'm sure Gene Simmons also got a kick out of being a uh, honorary promotion to black belt. And I just thought it was really cool all around. Now. Jason posted the picture of the honorary honorary certificate of promotion online, and the and the cool thing about it is that the font on for for uh, Jason Morris and putting Gene Simmons's name on there is of the Kiss like font. You know when you when you see the sign Kiss and whatever, they have a certain font, the Kiss font, I'll call it, and that's what's on the promotion certificate. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so I guess there is. There's two sides of this whole honorary promotion thing. For 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 one, I'm a okay with it. I know there's some people out there that don't like honorary promotions in whether that be judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or honorary degrees, honorary doctorate degrees, whatever the case may be. I think some people think that it makes a mockery of the work and effort that one goes through to earn a shodan. Or a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, or or a an actual PhD. I think for some people they they see that as an offense, and I can understand that point of view. But for me, I think this is pretty cool. I have no problems with this. I mean, it's it's just a good experience all around. It's something you know. You take a take somebody who clear like I said before, he clearly must be a Kiss fan. So, you know, Jason Morris is like, gosh, I have a chance to meet Gene Simmons. How am I going to make a lasting impression uh, when I meet Gene Simmons? I mean, you, you, you could just shake the guy's hand or whatever. But to do something more, to do something special, to give him an honorary promotion to show it on, I just think it's fantastic. I, it, it gives you, I think it gives the, the club good exposure. 
you know, when he puts the, the you know, his list of, of uh, Jason Morris Judo Club black belts, you know, now you see Gene Simmons' name up there. So I think it's really cool. I like the idea of honorary promotions as long as it's just not done all the time. Um, it, it's really a rare thing. It's 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 not very common. It's my understanding Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, um, has an has an honorary uh, judo showdown. I know uh, one of the heroes of of the nine eleven tragedy, Jason Glick, was honorarily uh, he was given an honorary promotion to to judon by the uh, United States Judo Association, and that that makes sense for his heroic efforts. It's honorary. And I think for those people who may feel uh, slightly offended at uh, at honorary promo- uh, an honorary promotion for Gene Simmons, let me just put it this way: If after years of hard work practicing judo, trying to master your craft, you were given an honorary promotion to Shodan, then I think you should be offended. And I, 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 you know, for myself, I'm I'm a Shodan currently, and if I was given an honorary promotion to Nidan, I, I think. I, I think I would just die. I, that would just be like the worst thing in the world. I Nobody who actually does judo wants an honorary promotion uh, within judo. That That's like, it, it's like going from one extreme to the other. For a person that doesn't do judo, they get an honorary promotion. It's it's a great honor. It's a, it's a nice thrill. It's it's kind of a, a neat little award that you can get and show off to your buddies or whatever the case may be. But somebody who actually spends time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears doing judo, and they get an honorary promotion, yeah, that that's an offense. That's offensive. So that's the real offense. And that, look, that almost never happens. I mean, God forbid if I, somebody were to give, or, or what's worse is like a pity promotion. It's like, God, you've been in judo for so long here. Have a showdown. You know, that that's like the worst. You don't ever want to be promoted that way. But honorary promotions, that would be, you know, I, I think that's okay. And for any of you listening out there, I, I I'm told it's my understanding that I can promote up to Sankyu without um, going through the national governing body. So if you're a white belt and you want an honorary promotion at Sankyu, feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> All right, what else? I wanted to have a discussion on Ukemi. Now, for many of you, this discussion will not be very interesting. It's going to be more geared toward beginners and, and such, and it, which I do have a large part of my audience that are beginners or, or you know, certainly hold a rank under Sankyu, let's say. So, and what I want to discuss in regards to Ukemi, it's not going to be a thoroughly exhaustive discussion and it's not going to be entirely scientific but I wanted to stress the importance of Ukemi and the reason why we discussed this in my last episode when I had uh, my guest co-host Ray who I hope uh, hello Ray I hope you're listening I appreciate you coming on we had a brief discussion on Ukemi and, and its importance and how in many clubs that I have visited over the years I don't think that ukemi practice is taken as seriously as it should be. I'm not saying all clubs, please don't get me wrong. In fact, a lot of them do dedicate 10 minutes a class on ukemi, and I think that's very important. When I was coming up through the ranks, at least at my very first club, ukemi was was stressed. And this was at a club that had a sprung floor. It was a gymnastic floor, which at times could be annoying because you'd 
you'd take a hard fall and you'd bounce once or twice, um, which it did save on the body. But I don't know. It, it, you know, bouncing a couple times is not fun either. So for my adult beginners out there, whether you're coming from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or you are a brand new adult a beginner to any sort of grappling martial art, even if you've done wrestling in the past, judo is definitely different. You have to learn ukemi. You've got to practice it on your own. You've got to take it seriously. It's going to save you a world of hurt. Ukemi is by far the most important judo skill. If if you do judo for a couple of months and you decide, you know what, it's it's really not for you. At the very least, in those few months that you did judo, you learned the most important judo skill, which is ukemi. And the reason why it is important is because it will allow you to take falls from from varying speeds and varying directions in a way that is safe and will keep your body protected. And one of the most important parts of the actual ukemi, which there's there's several moving parts, whether you're doing rear ukemi or, or forward ukemi or side ukemi, is slapping your mat. Is slapping the hands on the mat, or really if you are happen to be skateboarding or whatever, taking a hard fall, slapping down before the rest of your body hits the ground. When I first started judo, I really didn't understand why I had to slap the mat. I just did it. I did it because that's what I was told to do. But a lot of other people I have seen come up through the ranks over the past 12 years or so, they didn't make an effort to slap the mat or do ukemi exactly how they were taught. And they just, a lot of younger guys can can take a lot of falls um, without slapping the mat. They just kind of take the fall and take the impact and they're just kind of like, you know, well, I guess this is how it is, so I'm just going to suck it up and do it. But no, you don't have to just suck it up. There's a reason for everything in judo and specifically for ukemi, there's a reason why you slap the mat. If you are doing rondori with somebody and they manage to catch you really off guard and they throw you, when you are taken off your feet in those those seconds before you hit the mat, you cannot change the speed you're going to hit the ground, and you certainly can't change your, your mass or your size or your weight or whatever the case may be. You are As soon as you're taken off your feet, you're going to hit the ground. The only thing you have control of is how you're going to hit the ground and how you are going to hit the ground safely. And you can hit the ground safely by increasing the area of impact of how you're going to land on the ground. And you do that by slapping your hand on the ground a few seconds before, not a few seconds, a few moments before you, you the rest of your body hits the mat. And what that does is that spreads the area, the energy, the force, if you will, of you hitting the ground to a larger area. And it also increases the time of your entire body hitting the ground. Now, by time, I'm talking about fractions of a second, but it's not one thud. It's a, it's a series of, of impacts that, that are spread over a very, very short period of time. But by slapping the mat, you are essentially spreading that area over a large, uh, that energy over a large area. And from what I've read and from what I understand, Slapping the mat the moment before the rest of your body hits the ground can reduce the impact of force by up to 50% in some cases. Now, the only time I have ever done judo on the streets in real life is on the beach. 
I was doing some skimboarding over at Anna Maria Island down here in, in sunny Florida. And I slipped on the board. And what happened? I did a perfect rear brake fall. And I slapped my hand. Turns out I slapped my hand in a little shell and I cut myself. But I was able to prevent a, a serious injury of breaking my wrist or, or some other or, or injuring my shoulder or something along those lines by doing the perfect rear brake brake fall. I was skimboarding. I hit the wave. The ball, the, the board went all squirrely, and I, 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 I slipped. And I made sure that when I fell, I fell perfectly right on my back, slapped out, and the timing was perfect. It was a, a beautiful brake fall, I must say. And I was able to protect the rest of my body from getting injured by falling in that way. And I, on a more serious note, I remember a couple of years ago over in Clearwater, Clearwater and Drew Street, the intersection, this car cut in front of a motorcycle uh, rider and the guy got hit. He the bike, he he got flown right off of his bike. And I swear to you, this happened. Look, I've seen the video happen in Clearwater. The guy did a perfect forward break. He, He was got to be at least 10 feet in the air. He rolled, did a perfect break fall, forward break fall, and walked away from a, a, a what could have been a serious motorcycle accident. Maybe if I could find the video, I'll put the link up there for you. But now I don't know if this guy did judo, but all I know is that he did a, a forward break fall and just, and literally just like we do in judo, we do forward break fall and walked, he walked away from the accident where it could have been a lot worse had he landed on his head or, or maybe even landed on his feet and, and, and just kind of skimmed across the ground and such. So Ukemi can save lives. I, I, I mean, in my case, it wasn't going to save my life. But I, and I got to tell you, when, because when you don't spread that, that uh, force over a large area, that's where injuries occur. I remember in the first two months of me doing judo, this uh, this white belt was being thrown by somebody else with a simple Ogoshi, not hard. We were just doing Nagekomi practice. And as he was going over from the throw, he decided to put his, his hand down, palm down, instead of slapping out properly, he, he popped out his shoulder. It was, it was very disgusting to see. And even myself, there have been times where I've been lazy with Ukemi and I've paid the price for it. Really, Two times, but once was a, a, a not not a real bad injury, but it affected me for months. I was just doing Rondori with somebody who was who was very skilled, and he caught me with a Sayanagi, and for whatever reason, I was trying to not get thrown, and I I, I initially I put my hand, my palm down as I was going over to maybe cartwheel out of it. And as soon as I, as soon as I put my palm on the ground, I, I said, I screamed at myself, I, not out loud, but screamed at myself, what are you doing? You stupid. But it was too late. I, as soon as, as soon as my palm hit the ground, I, I realized what I did and I brought my arm to try and slap, but it was too late. I already did the damage and I didn't, I didn't tear a rotator cuff. I just had, turns out all I had was severe inflammation for about three months, but I tried to train through it and it was very difficult. I couldn't, it got to a point where I couldn't even do a single push up, and I couldn't even hold a half gallon of milk out to my side without being in a lot of pain. 
But there was no structural damage. It just ended up being severe inflammation. I got one of those Toradol shots and I was good in three days. I, I should have gotten that shot like three months prior. But um, I didn't because I thought it would heal on its own. It, it just never did. But that one moment, that one mistake, it, it, it cost me uh, some training time. Uh, well, I, I kept training, but it cost me a lot of mobility. So Ukemi is very serious. I, I know... I, like I see some jujitsu guys, even when they do their techniques from their standing or they, you know, they, they transition to the ground. They just they just put their palm on the ground and, and brace with their arm. And I, I'm like, guys, don't do that, please. You're going to hurt yourselves eventually. So make sure the most important skill is slapping out whatever you do, even if the rest of your body positioning isn't ideal. Make sure you're slapping First, before you do anything else, the moment of impact with the rest of your body, slap the mat hard and it's, you're going to save yourself a whole lot of pain. And I've railed on this before and I rail on it again. There's even in my own club, there's, you know, a lot of the kids, they, they don't, I don't think they really understand why taking Ukemi is very important. It's going to save them a whole lot of hurt and, and pain later on and I just um I, I take Ukemi practice very seriously. It's important to me. And I it, it, like I say, if it was my club, um promotions to any any of the junior ranks w w would only happen so long as their Ukemi is up to par for the rank that they have. They've they've gotta I, I've gotta see before any other technique their Ukemi. That that's just the most important skill to me when I determine who's deserving of a rank and and um I would venture to guess in many other clubs out there it's the same way. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you go to the gym, you have a killer workout and you tell your significant other about it and they're like, "Oh, that's nice, honey." Or maybe you've been really disciplined with your nutrition and you're finally seeing the results but no one seems to care. You just want a little recognition, right? Your friends and family may not be giving you the recognition you deserve, but Health IQ is willing to. Health IQ wants to recognize your hard work and dedication to a fit and healthy lifestyle by offering you savings on your life insurance. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that helps health conscious people like many of you listening to this podcast to get lower rates on their life insurance. According to a 2009 study in the International Journal of Sports Medicine, Men who did high-intensity exercise have a 35% lower risk of all-cause mortality. For women, the risk reduction is 44%. By having an active and healthy lifestyle, Health IQ can get you lower rates on your life insurance policy if you qualify. Visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to learn more and to see if you can qualify for a lower rate on your life insurance. The Tbilisi Grand Prix. Did any of you guys catch that a couple weekends ago? I believe the weekend of April 1st. I managed to watch day two of the final block live. And I was pretty impressed with a lot of the contests. Some of them, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it again, that some of these calls that they're calling for Wazari and some of the calls that they're not calling for Epon, it's very confusing. I, I don't like it. I'll keep saying that until I'm, pass out and blue in the face but other than some of the questionable calls in particular in the under 70 kilo gold medal match um, I thought it was a really good event 
I managed to watch some of the highlights of the other days, but the final block I watched live. So I'm going to get to some of those results first. Day two covered the under 63, under 70, under 73, and under 81 kilo divisions. So starting with the under 63 kilo divisions, want us to get out of the way that Great Britain had a pretty good day. Lucy Renshaw and Lupana Piovesana, hopefully I, Piovesana, hopefully I got that right. Uh, they both take bronze in this in this competition. Lucy Renshaw defeats Inbal Shemesh of Israel, and uh, Lupana Piovesana defeated Katerina Hecker from Aust- Australia. And since France had a very strong presence in this contest, it should come as no surprise that Clarice Abegnenu uh, de- uh, won this division. Uh, she defeated Karolina Talak of Poland. And I, I, Clarice is, you're amazing, Clarice. I know you're not, never going to listen to this podcast, but if you, by chance, you happen to listen to this episode, I think you're absolutely amazing. I love watching you fight. And she just was incredible throughout this entire day. And, and the gold medal batch being no exception. She gets a really great Ouchigari against her opponent. And now with a continuation, her opponent landed on her butt first, but rolled onto her back. So she gets the upon. But just Clarice is just amazing. I, I really enjoy watching her fight. And it's no, no surprise why she not only is the world champion, but she's uh, number one in that division. France had a strong showing in the under 70 kilo division where Marie-Yves Gahi defeated Kelita Supanchik of Canada in what I thought was a very questionable no call. Gahi throws Supanchik onto her side, which in other contests have been called Wazari, but uh, she gets the no call. But fortunately for her, she was aware enough to secure the Osaikomi for the Ipon victory. So congratulations to her. Supanchik gets the silver medal for Canada. And in the bronze medal matches, Miriam Centuria of Georgia and Carola Paisoni of Italy are your winners in that division for the bronze medal. In the under 73 kilo final, you had an all Georgian final featuring Lasha Shaduatsvili um, competing against his fellow countryman, uh, Fridion Gigani. And let me tell you, these two gentlemen, even though uh, Shaduatsvili won, Hopefully I got that pronunciation right. Even though he won, both of these men showed a fierceness and a competitiveness that was sorely lacking at the Dusseldorf Grand Prix. Pardon me, Grand Slam, where Hawasawa and Ojitani literally did nothing in a match, and they both earned a silver medal, and there was no gold medal winner in that plus 100 kilo division. So thankfully, there was a couple of matches in this event where it was an all-Georgian final, and thankfully, we were we did not have to endure seeing such piss poor performance uh, like what we saw in Dusseldorf. So, in this match, Shaduashvili uh, defeated his fellow countrymen. Granted, it was by winner by Hansokumaki, but they both put up a good fight, and and it was still somewhat entertaining. Certainly, far more entertaining than what happened in Dusseldorf. Right? That was just disgraceful. Continuing on. In the bronze medal match, uh, one of the bronze medal matches, um, Sam van Westende of the Netherlands defeated Georgi uh, Smakov of Russia by a very odd throw. It looked like it looked like um, uh, van Westende attempted some kind of an Osotogari, but but he didn't really throw uh, his opponent, but but. Uh, 
Shmakov had just fell on his back in some weird way. He gets the Yipon victory. It was it was a great match. Just a just a curious and it was the right call. It was Yipon was the right call. Just curious how that exchange happened. You'd have to see it to understand what I'm talking about. And then the other bronze medal match. Neil Stump of Switzerland defeated Mohammed Mohammadi of Iran in a very with a very curious uh, Wazari call there. I I don't think that throw was deserving of Wazari, but uh, the referee saw it differently at his angle. They gave it the Wazari, and that was enough for uh, Mr. Stump of Switzerland to get the bronze medal. So congratulations to all medal winners in the under seventy three kilo division. Moving on to the under eighty ones. Georgia, again, had a very strong presence of taking a bronze medal and a, a gold medal in this division. Tamazi Karakroashvili uh, defeated Henri uh, Igutizde of, of Portugal in what was, in my opinion, the highlight of the afternoon. Uh, this, you guys have to see this match. I, I'm telling you, Karakroashvili countered a, uh, a, a Ponce Nagi attempt by by doing a a roll through for the Osaikomi and and the the pawn, and this is one of those turnovers that you you see taught, taught in classes all the time, where you you, you put your leg through. I, I, it's hard for me to describe on on this microphone, but every I know everybody that that has been in judo for a while has done this turnover once, where you 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 put your leg through, you you kind of do a forward roll, and you bring the your opponent onto his back, and, and that's exactly what he did. But his his um, demonstration of this technique, his application of this technique was just flawless and just amazing. And and uh, Henri Egotizde of Portugal had no idea what was coming and, and it was too late. And, and uh, Caracoashvili just secured a phenomenal win in, in what I thought was the highlight of the afternoon. One of the bronze medal matches was an all-Georgian final with uh, Nugzari Tatalashvili of Georgia defeating Koba Mikdelashvili, who sorry about that. Um with a fantastic Osoto Otoshi. Just uh, the timing was impeccable and just it was really one of those throws. It was just a great epon compared to some of the other ones that I've complained about. It was a fantastic epon. And in the other bronze medal match, you had uh, Sergei Kirevchak of the Ukraine defeating Stanislav Smenov of Russia. In a very lively match that ended up with Krivach earning the Awas- well, Wazari Awaseti Ipon via Uchimada and Ipon Seanagi throughout this contest. So, very lively contest. That one's definitely worth watching. Now, I want to cover some of the matches I did not watch live but did uh, watch later on. Starting with Guram Tushishvili in the final against Havad Majub of Iran. And let me tell you, this match, first of all, the crowd was just going bananas. They were just going wild. Watching uh, clearly the the, the favorite uh, Tushishvili here, and boy, uh, Majub of Iran really put up a good fight. I saw the most s- strongest looking Wazari I have seen against Tushishvili in quite some time. They both went in for an Osoto Gari, and Majub pretty much willed his way to get uh, Tushishvili onto his side to get the Wazari score, but he just couldn't hold on because. Uh, later on, about a minute later into the match, uh, or less than a minute later, Tushishvili, in, in an exchange, managed to secure an Osaikomi for the Ipon. And I got, I mean, two immensely strong, powerful men here fighting. It was a very lively contest, and if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend that you check it out. 
Quickly running down some of the other divisions. In the under 60 kilo division, it was an all-Georgian medal stand with uh, Lukimi Chikvinmiani winning the gold medal, defeating Armian Papinashvili, uh, obviously both of Georgia, uh, followed by Lasha Shadunelli and Timur Nozadze of uh, Georgia. They, they all take uh, medals in the under 60 kilo division. In the under 66 kilo division, no surprise here seeing Vajha Margvelashvili uh, defeating Daniel uh, Kargnin of Brazil. I've already covered the under 73 and under 81 kilo division winners. In the under 90 uh, kilo division, Rafael uh, Maxedo of Brazil defeated uh, uh, Giorgi Papunashvili of Georgia, which is uh, very surprising there. Congratulations to Brazil. And in the under 100 kilo division, you have Peter Palchik of Israel defeating Marag Margiev of Russia. And in in the uh, bronze medal match, you had Onis uh, Sane Blidzdi of Georgia um, winning in that one. In the under 48 kilo division, you had Marusa Stangar of Slovenia defeating uh, Milika Nikolic of uh, Serbia via Awazari Awaseti Ipon. It was again one of those uh, curious calls how they get the call to Wazari there. And, and I've said it before, you you just you're off your feet. You're gonna get scored on most likely. So you know that's that's just the way it is these days. But Regardless of that, Stangar um, held on for the victory uh, via Osaikomi and well-deserved win. In the under-52 kilo division, you had Armandine Bouchard defeating uh, Evelyne uh, Schopp of Switzerland. Our, um, Bouchard is from France. This is another one of those situations where they called the Wazari, and I really thought it should have been an Ipon. Bouchard manages to get the Wazari 13 seconds into the contest, and she manages to secure the Wazari Awaseti Ipon. About a minute later, with a very curious Wazari call. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got to stop complaining about this stuff. It doesn't matter. I can't change it, so I'm just going to report on it. Congratulations to Armandine Bouchard of France. France had a nice showing uh, at this event. In the under-57 kilo division, Teresa Stoll of Germany defeated Helene Recevaux of France in a very impressive effort toward the end. They 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 fought very hard and and like I talked with uh, Ray last week, I gotta say in general, I I really enjoy watching the women fight, especially in some of these these uh, mid-tier divisions, the under-57 kilos and and certainly the under-63 kilo divisions. They're just really exciting to watch. They all, I mean, don't get me wrong, they all all the divisions are great, but. But these ones in particular, I, I always keep a special eye out for. Let's see. I already covered the under 63 and the and the under 70 kilo division. So moving on to the under 78 kilo division, Audrey Tremeo of France defeated uh, Anastalia uh, Churchin of the Ukraine via Osaikomi within uh, in about two minutes into the contest. And in the over 78 kilo division, you have Romain Dico of France sporting the silver hair, defeating Mariana Slutskaya of Belarus. Um, again, we're one of those situations where about two minutes in, uh, Diko gets the Wazari, but I thought could have been called any pawn in this case, but it doesn't matter because about 10 seconds later, she holds down Slutskaya for the uh, Osaikomi and the Wazari Awaseti Ipon. So congratulations to her. In terms of medal ranking, Georgia led the way with five gold medals, followed by France with five gold medals. Brazil with one, Israel with one, Germany with one, and Slovenia with one. 
And it should come as no surprise that Georgia led the way with all the medals, considering that this was a home event for them. And they get to throw in as many athletes as they uh, want, which I believe they had 39 total Georgian athletes competing in this event. One last thing, I'd like to note that Angelica Delgado in the under 52 kilo division representing Team USA managed to get a fifth place finish. So congratulations to her. That's a big deal. She gets the points and that's going to be important if she has any aspirations of going to the Olympics. All right, so I'm going to close out the podcast doing my WrestleMania 34 review. As of this recording, I watched WrestleMania 34 live last night via the WWE Network. I said a couple of months ago that ever since Ronda Rousey showed up at the Royal Rumble, that I would buy this pay-per-view to see her in-ring debut. And for those of you guys who've been listening to me for a long time, you guys should be aware, if you remember, that I went to WrestleMania 33 in Orlando last year, and it was a tremendous event. But I gotta say, last night was better. I think a big reason for that is that the venue itself was better. You're talking about the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in in New Orleans, Louisiana, versus the, the old Orange Bowl in, in Florida, which is just a very old an outdated stadium. But I mean, the set last year was awesome. And I thought the set this year was incredible. I'm not going to break down all the matches because that's not what this podcast is about. But I got to say, boy, everything from top to bottom was fantastic. Just to, just the production, the effort. And I haven't been watching Raw or SmackDown with any sort of consistency over the past year. So I really wasn't aware of too many of the storylines. I just wanted to watch WrestleMania just for the sake of watching as a fan. I've watched many other WrestleManias in the past and and to last night was certainly up there for me. I, maybe I have a little bit of recency bias, but I just thought it was a fantastic pay-per-view. And it wasn't really a pay-per-view. It's on the network. so But it was a fantastic a special event. It's their big event of the year, and they pull out all the stops, and and everybody last night delivered. The only thing that was a really a dud for me was the John Cena Undertaker match. Now, I covered this last year. The Undertaker and his tremendous dong retired last year, and I don't know why they decided to bring him back. They didn't need to bring him back. I thought the way that he retired last year. I watched it live. It was like a 15-minute in-ring ceremony where he didn't say anything. He just took off his clothes or or his hat, really. <laughs> Not his clothes. He wasn't naked. And he left his wrestling attire in the middle of the ring. And then he descended down the ramp and, like, literally descended like he was going to, to hell or something like that. And it was a fitting end to a remarkable career. And I don't know why... The WWE decided to bring back The Undertaker and his dong, but clearly uh, John Cena was terrorized by it because he had this look on his face in the middle of the ring. He wanted The Undertaker. He got The Undertaker. And I gotta say, it looked like The Undertaker uh, turned back the clock about 15 years. He looked very athletic out there compared to last year where he just looked like a really like an old and broken down man. Uh, maybe the year off did a lot of good for him. He got a lot of healing in his body. Uh, he looked he looked sharp. He looked very athletic. It's shocking because, I mean, the guy's like, what, 54 years old? I mean, he looked great. But the only thing I didn't like about that match is that 
they squashed John Cena. And, you know, when it comes to wrestling, you you can't squash your top guys to the legends. You just you just can't do it. So I kind of thought that was a dud, and I also thought the Nia Jax match was a dud. And the the main event, the universal title between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. I don't know what's up with the crowd. I really hate the wrestling crowds. I, you know, they were just chanting boring and things like that. And it wasn't a boring match. I thought I thought that match was fantastic. Roman Reigns was giving everything he got. Um, Brock Lesnar put on a tremendous performance as he usually does. It was a very entertaining match. But, you know, the boring chance, I don't know what everybody's issue is with Roman Reigns. I think he's a lot better than some of the other uh, people that the fa- they're fans of. Um, I got to say, New Day's entrance was the funniest thing I've seen in years in terms of an in-ring entrance. It was just hysterical. And I, I haven't been following wrestling for a while, so I don't understand what it is with the little people dressed as pancakes and New Day's coming out, dancing around, throwing pancakes into the stands. I don't know what that was about, but that was that was one of the funniest damn things I've seen in a long time. Um, but enough of all that. You guys wanted to hear me talk about Ronda Rousey, I'm sure. So Ronda Rousey teamed up with Kurt Angle to face Stephanie McMahon and her husband, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. They are married in real life, and they both have uh, executive roles in the WWE. But once a year, Triple H likes to show up in the ring, and he looked like he was in phenomenal shape. I was stunned to see Kurt Angle actually wrestle. And, you know, the match was entertaining. It started off very slowly. It was just Triple H and and Kurt Angle doing their thing like they've been doing for the past 20 years uh, in the ring. It was was entertaining, but... I was kind of, it, the the match started off as a dud, and I was thinking, gosh, they're really taking a long time to get Ronda in this match. Now, Ronda came out in a wrestling attire that was very reminiscent of Ronda, uh, of, of Rowdy Roddy Piper's uh, wrestling attire. She came out with kind of like this this kilt, and she had the, uh, the, uh, the t-shirt that said Rowdy on it. I think it said Rowdy. I wasn't paying attention, but... Um, she did really good. The only thing I didn't like about her entrance is she's still, after all these couple of uh, these past few months, she looks like a mark walking down that aisle. I mean, she she just looks like a fan, like like she yeah. I, it's fine to enjoy the moment, but don't look like that when you're coming down the aisle because especially, you know, when we think of Ronda Rousey in the UFC, she was a a tough. Uh, a really, really tough person, really, really mean person. And I think that would serve her well in the WWE instead of just having this golly gee willikers, I'm happy to be here look. But other than that, I just thought she put on a tremendous support uh, performance. Um, Granted, it was against Stephanie McMahon, who has no wrestling ability whatsoever. But Ronda sold. Uh, Ronda put together a good match. And it was good to see Ronda take her licks and and at least bring it to Triple H, you know. And um, and when she was in the ring, she was actually acting like the Ronda Rousey that we're used to seeing in the UFC. I think in the middle of the match, when Triple H was on the side, uh, I think she yelled something at him. Leave me alone. I'm too busy beating up your wife. <laughs> I thought that was tremendous. <laughs> but it was just... Uh, Great performance. She finishes off Stephanie McMahon with an armbar, which 
you know, people, obviously all of us who do some actually actual training, we all know that, that the arm bar she used would not actually hurt anybody, but it's all for show. And she did a tremendous job for her first in ring of performance. I, I give her effort an A plus. I thought she was great. I thought her character really shone through in the middle of the ring. Uh, I was good to see her throwing punches at Triple H and and uh, picking up Stephanie McMahon, throwing her around a little bit. Uh, saw a little bit of judo, a uh, an Ouchigari, which is kind of interesting. But I thought she looked great. I was a little concerned that maybe she would be the drag on the show, but but clearly not. I I mean, the crowd was really into her. They were chanting her name. Uh, she's got a lot of support and a lot of fans in the WWE, so good for her. I think this is a great uh, step in the right direction for her, for her career. Now, I, I've said this before, and I still stand by this. I think Kayla Harrison would be a mega star in the WWE. She's uh, Granted, she's not as well known, so she would have to... She doesn't have the celebrity status like Ronda Rousey does, but, I mean... I, I think Kayla Harrison would have the charisma. She's got the strength. She's got the skill. Um, and I and I think she certainly has the athleticism to do it. And, you, you know, but she's pursuing her MMA route. I don't ever see Kayla really heading into the UFC. I, I just don't see that happening. Maybe I'll be wrong. But, um, but I do think, you know, I really think Kayla would being in the WWE would really serve her well. And I think it's going to serve Ronda very well, probably over the next uh, three to four years. I, I envision Ronda Rousey being a fixture in the WWE. Good for her. I, I think it's going to work out, and I hope it does. All right, so that's enough for me. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to reach out to me and let me know what you think of my podcast or let me know what you thought of WrestleMania or anything else for that matter, feel free to email me at... Uh, show at gmail.com. You can always reach out to me on Facebook if you do a search for Judo Chop Suey Podcast. My Instagram, as I mentioned before, is at Lavita Judoka. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's also at Lavita Judoka. Now, admittedly, I'm not a big social media guy except for Instagram. I just, I like sharing my life on Instagram. Um, I don't really post too much on Facebook. And I, I really should. I, I just... I've, I've just been so busy lately, you know, like I said in the beginning of the podcast with work and everything, it's just been been really hectic and I just don't have the time to sit there and, and you know, talk about whatever, you, you know, what, what I ate for lunch or whatever, whatever crap that people talk about. I, I, I'm not on Facebook very much. I mean, my Facebook page, I wish I, I, I should be posting more on that, but I just, I just don't. The Instagram is where I really share my life and the email is the best way to get a hold of me. So with that, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Oh, oh.